Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. All right, Hope, how are we doing? We good? Nice. Good. Hey, uh, my name is Ben. All right, I'm a pastor out in Colorado. Um, the last week I got to teach here and I went on and on about how much I love you guys and I, I'm not going to do that again. Just a reminder, I do love you guys and I'm happy to be here. Uh, <laughs> uh, welcome back to the uh, second week of this series called From Start to Finish. In case you missed last week, what we're doing is we are look, taking a look at what Jesus has to say about our families, okay? And we're not just looking at like, you know, what it looks like to be just a parent or whatever, looking from start to finish. Like, so from the starting line to the finish line, what does Jesus have to say about our marriages? And then what does he have to say about our parenting? And then what does he have to say about aging? How do we age well? Those are like the different stages of family that we're covering throughout this series. Last week, we talked about marriage. This week, we're gonna pick up right where we left off. We're gonna talk about parenting. When it comes to raising kids, whether they're biological or adopted or fostered or inherited, you name it, what does it look like for us to be God's faithful representatives to our children? All right, and I believe this is worth talking about because I don't know about you, I'm a dad. Half the time, I feel like I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing when it comes to parenting. Like, I, just so you know, today I'm preaching to myself every bit as much as I'm preaching to you. Me and my wife, Allie, we've got three kids, Emery, Micah, and Chloe, ages 10, eight, and five. We're in the thick of it right now, and in no way do I consider myself a parenting expert. I'm just in the thick of it with you, okay? And, and to be honest, like, 95% of the time, I'm worried I'm screwing the whole thing up, okay? I have very many nights where I lay in bed and I just think of the way I parented that day and I just start kind of calculating how much that's gonna cost my kids in counseling fees <laughs> when they're older. So, like, I, I'm no expert, right? Just in the thick of it. And the thought that I, I find myself thinking when it comes to parenting pretty often is, is simply like, okay, when is, when is someone gonna teach me how to do this? is the thought I have. Like, where is the instruction manual that came with my children? I misplaced it. That's the thought that's through my head. Like, I'll never forget, like, the, I can even smell the room. I'll never forget the moment when we finally took our first kid, Emery, away from the hospital where she was born. It's like, you know, you, if you've been there, it's, it's a wild moment, right? Like little Emery, she's like, you know, this big, she's in a little onesie and the bags are all packed and the nurse comes in and we fill out a couple forms and then the nurses are just like, okay, you're free to go. And I was like, great. Um, like which one of you is coming home to live with me full time? <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing, right? Like where is the instruction manual? And I still feel that way today. All right, Emery's 10 now. Like just last week, she came home with all this fifth grade girl drama, which... Oh my gosh, it's brand new to me. You know, she's got some friend who hates her now or whatever. And I'm just sitting there going like, where's the instruction manual for this? I don't know how to do this, 
right? My youngest, Chloe, she's had two extended stays at Children's Hospital. She goes in, she's nearly comatose with this messed up white blood cell count. They've run every test on her imaginable. The doctors still look at us and go, yeah, we don't know what's causing this. We don't know what to do about it. And so every time she gets sick, she's sick right now. Me and my wife, Allie, we start freaking out. It's like, are we gonna have to take her to the Children's Hospital again? Like, what are we, where's the instruction manual for this? Right? To, to be honest, like really the only time I feel like I know what I'm doing is when my son Micah comes in from the backyard and he's like, Dad, I caught three toads. What do I do with them? And it's like, I know how to handle this one, right? Like, bring them inside, show them to mom. Um, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, I just don't know what I'm doing, right? And I know I can't be the only one who, who feels this way. And the truth is like, you could be one of those people who reads every single parenting book that's out there, but still at the end of the day, like each one of our kids is a completely unique human being. They're, they're completely unlike any other person who has ever existed. They're complicated creatures and they did not come with an instruction manual. And so today what I wanna talk about is like, what is the goal with parenting? Like, what are we supposed to be aiming at in the first place? Are we just supposed to be creating like just other contributing members of society or are we supposed to just like kind of keep them alive for 18 years and then they can go and decide to do whatever they want to do with their lives? Like, what is the goal of parenting? What should we be aiming at? To do that, we're gonna turn to the Bible, see what the Bible can give us in terms of guidance for parenting. And to do that, we're gonna look at one of my favorite, it's probably my favorite passage on parenting in the Bible, which is Deuteronomy 6, back in our Old Testament. Okay, context for what we're about to read today. Okay, right before what we're gonna look at today, like the chapter right before this one, God gives Moses the 10 commandments. Okay, a lot of us familiar with those. At least, at least everybody has heard of the 10 commandments. Okay, most of these commandments, we in 2023, we think of them as like common sense ethics, right? For, for example, honor thy father and mother or all the thou shalt nots, thou shalt not murder, or commit adultery, or steal, or lie, or live with envy and jealousy. Like we, in 2023, we hear those and we think like, yeah, that's, that's just common sense. But these weren't common sense laws back in Moses' day. That's because the world used to be a very brutal, brutal place to live in. And so these new laws, like the Israelites, God's people, they saw them as radical. Like this was a totally revolutionary and new and beautiful way to be a human being within society. So right before this, Moses, he comes down off this mountain with the 10 commandments, these brand new laws on how to be a human being. He shares all these laws with the Israelites and then picking up in what we're gonna look at right now, after he does that, he gives the Israelites some instructions and he instructs them to do two things. Okay, the first thing Moses instructs them to do is this. We're in Deuteronomy chapter six, starting in verse four. Moses says this. He goes, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And these commandments, this new and better way of living your life that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Okay, so the first instruction that Moses gives his people and us is essentially, hey, with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love God, 
right? And, but then on top of that, also love this, these like new laws that he gave us. Love this radical and better new way of living. In fact, this new way of living should be written upon your heart. Or in other words, try to make this new way of living like second nature. Make it habitual. Make it the new common sense way to live your life. All right, that's the first instruction Moses gives. He goes, let this law be written on your heart, okay? Second instruction, right after that, Moses says, okay, after that, impress them, impress this new and better way of living on your children, okay? He says, hey, this new and better way of life, you got to impress that on your family. And this is kind of where English translations of the Bible kind of miss out because Hebrew is, is a language of word pictures, okay? So the word impress, in the original Hebrew, it's a word that actually means to sharpen, like you would sharpen a knife or you would sharpen a sword, okay? And anyone in the room who's sharpened a blade, you're starting to get the word picture in your mind because sharpening takes a couple things. It takes time and it takes repetition, right? If you've sharpened a blade, you know it's the same gentle motion, right, over and over and over again for a long period of time. Like if you have a very dull blade, you can't speed up the sharpening process by like do, doing it more forcefully, that could break the blade, right? So it, it takes time and it takes repetition. It's just the same gentle motion over and over again. You do that long enough and you'll get a blade that can cut through paper. And so in, in Moses' second instruction to us, we get this picture of impressing, sharpening this new and beautiful way of life onto our children. Don't force it on them, right? So like, don't force it. Like you, you're gonna believe in Jesus or else, right? Or if you're gonna live in my house, you better shape up. Don't force it on them like a blade that could break them. Instead, it's time and it's repetition. Sharpen them, show them gently in small little ways what it looks like to follow Jesus over time. Show them this better way of life over and over and over for as long as they're around you. It's the second instruction we get from Moses is to impress, to sharpen this better way of life gently and over time onto our children. It's like, great, that sounds good. How do we do that? And that's what Moses explains next. And the next few verses are why it's like my favorite passage on parenting in the Bible. So check this out, next verse. He goes, impress them on your children, impress this new and better way of life on your children. How are we gonna do that? We're gonna do it like this. Talk about them, talk about this new and better life. When? When you just sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Be talking about this better way of life with your kids. Here's another thing you can do. You can tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. So don't just talk about this better way of life, but live it out. Live it out in the way you act with your hands and in the way you think with your head. Here's another thing you can do. You can write this better way of life on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Like make this better way of Jesus the like foundation of your entire home. And so to summarize what we just kind of looked at in Deuteronomy 6, it's this. Like this is in the Old Testament. We worship Jesus now. So we're gonna apply what we like have learned and apply it with Jesus. And so what we just learned is to impress and sharpen the better way of Jesus first into the very fabric of our own hearts. 
Right? That was his first instruction. And then his second instruction is from that place, we sharpen it into the hearts of our children and our homes. And the way we do that is repetition plus time. Gradually, over time, we display the way of Jesus to our families through our words and our actions and our attitudes and our homes. Okay, and some of us, you know, we're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. I guess that's the way to articulate what I'm trying to do with my parenting. But the reason these are my favorite verses on parenting, what I love about these verses are the types of moments that Moses gives as examples for when our kids are going to be sharpened. And I love it because he doesn't say, hey, your prime opportunity for sharpening your kids is in the big moments, Right, like in the birthdays and the championships and the graduations and the big elaborate summer vacations. He doesn't say that. And I love that because I'll speak for myself, but sometimes like in the normal day-to-day when you're just doing the same thing every day, you're dropping them off at school, you're picking them up at the same time. In those like routine day-to-day moments, I can con- kind of like, like convince myself that, yeah, parenting will happen, I guess, tomorrow, or I guess it'll happen when something big happens. It'll happen in the big moments, the big bad moments or the big good moments, right? Like the big bad moments, like when the diagnosis is bad or when, you know, Chloe's in children's hospital or when they come home drunk for the first time or when they flunk out of class. It's like, that's when I'm gonna have to step in and do some parenting and do some sharpening. Or I think it'll happen in the big good moments, like when they get the scholarship or when they win state or when they get engaged. It's like, okay, that's when I'll jump in. I'll I'll do some parenting. I'll do some sharpening. The big moments. That's not the picture that Deuteronomy gives us. It's not the picture. Instead, the picture we get in Deuteronomy is that our kids will be the most impressionable, like the most ready to be defined and shaped in the quiet, mundane moments. It's, it's in the moments where, remember our verses, like we're just sitting at home or walking along the road or driving to school or getting ready for breakfast or getting ready for bed. It's like the big, the big huge moments, like the surprise parties and, and family reunions and summer vacations, those are great, nothing wrong with those. Those are probably the moments our kids will remember the most when they're older. But apparently, according to the Bible, those aren't the most formative moments of their lives. Instead, the, the formative, defining, shaping moments are actually all of the times in between the big moments. According to God, our kids are being shaped by the way we act during the dull, quiet, lazy Saturday routine moments, the downtime. We're told that our kids are being sharpened by us like on the car ride home from church today. They're being sharpened like when you're just making sandwiches to pack in their lunch in the morning or when you just sit down to play a card game with them. It's in the the small and quiet moments of your life when it's tempting to think that nothing much is going on. In reality, one of the greatest things you will ever do with your life is happening. What's happening is your kids are being shaped and sharpened by the way we are choosing to talk and think and act. And so if that's true, then how can we begin taking advantage of the like small, quiet, routine moments? 
Okay, well, just like we talked about last week with marriage, marriage is imaging God or representing God's goodness to the world. I think in the same way, in the small, quiet, day-to-day routine moments as parents, we should be focusing on imaging God, representing God's characteristics to our children. And so for the rest of our time together, I wanna kind of zoom in on three characteristics of God that I think that we should embody as parents. It's like three things that if we can do that well, then I think we're gonna be off to a pretty good start in the world of parenting. And those three characteristics of God that we can embody are attention, affection, and authority. And I wanna walk through them. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll start with attention. Okay, cover to cover. From start to finish throughout the Bible, we encounter the fact that you and I have God's attention. We have his undivided attention, okay? It wouldn't be wrong to say that the Bible's essentially one massive book about how God has paid attention to his people. Like, there is nothing in that big fat book that even alludes to even the possibility that maybe sometimes God is too busy for you or too distracted for you or maybe he's ignoring you for a few days because he's sick of you. It's always the same old stuff with you and so he's gonna go get some alone time. Like, that picture is not in the Bible. Instead, the opposite picture is in the Bible. This idea of God paying attention to us It's one of the primary themes of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's something that we're told we can count on. One quick example, 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John just said, man, if there's anything you can be absolutely confident in, it's the fact that God hears you. Most importantly, for anyone in the room who follows Jesus, This idea of of offering undivided attention, it characterized the life of Jesus Christ. If you go read the four gospels, his four biographies, you'll see that no matter who he was with, never mattered who he was with, if he was around someone, he offered them his full undivided attention. There's a few moments in the gospels where he disappears. It's always to pray and then he comes back. He surrounds himself with people and he offers them his undivided attention. And so all throughout the Bible, cover to cover, there's this picture being painted of a God who is never too busy for us. He's never too distracted. He's never balancing too many plates to spend time with us. Like the God of the Bible is the great giver of attention. And so if we wanna shape our kids in like the run of the mill day-to-day moments, the question is, do we offer the same amount of attention to our kids that God offers us? And I don't know about you, but for me, that's a very convicting question. And I'll, I'll just speak for myself, okay? I'll let you evaluate your own life and parenting. But for me, it's easy to escape into distraction, okay? For me, that's, like, I work at home, okay? So on a typical day, I go drop my kids off at school. I come back to the house. And the rest of the day, I'm working all alone in my house, and I'm missing them all day long. And then... Sadly, on more days than I want to admit, I go and I pick them up, and in the time it takes to go from school to home, 20 minutes, I'm already convincing myself I need a little bit of a break, <laughs> right? In 20 minutes, that's, that's it. And 
It's because if you have small kids or if you used to have small kids, you know, it's like the chaos is immediate and it's like unceasing. And it's like they get in my car and the volume goes absolutely through the roof. On, on a typical 20 minute drive, I will you know, hear hysterical laughter and hysterical crying and I'll break up like 10 fights and I'll ask, answer a thousand questions. Emery, my oldest, she got in the car, this was just a couple weeks ago, she got in the car, she immediately, before I could say hello, she asked me, why do so many people die on Mount Everest? What is frostbite? What is amputation? And does the color of your eyes affect the way you see the world? That was all just one, one question to me before I even said hello. It's just the chaos is immediate. And so it's easy for me to escape into distraction. I just kind of sit on the couch and, you know, just escape into my phone and check news headlines or watch sports or read a good book. But at the same time, it's foolish of me. Like on a typical school day, I maybe get, you know, four hours with my kids. And then here I am like sinking one or two of those hours into escaping from them. Like I'm literally killing my time. And I feel especially convicted about this right now because my youngest, Chloe, she's five, she recently called me out on this (laughs) by a five-year-old. To be fair to myself, uh, (laughs) Chloe is a talker, okay? If you ask Emery and Micah how their days are, they're like, I don't remember, it's just a normal day. If you ask Chloe how her day is, like you're gonna get the entire day. She's one of those kids that's like, at 8.14, I entered the doors of school, (laughs) right? I turned right, saw Charlotte, said hello. I turned left, the sun slanted through the window, illuminated a sticker, scratch and sniff, the smell of grapes. Like you're gonna get like this, Really, really long story, okay? That's in my defense. Well, the other day we're at home, she's like 20 minutes into the story of her day and I'm honestly, I'm zoning out on my phone and I'm just scrolling through news headlines. I'm giving her the occasional like, oh, you don't say, that's very interesting. As I'm scrolling through headlines and I'm just terrible, I'm not paying any attention to her. Um, until I heard her little voice kind of cut through the like, and I heard her say, it breaks my heart, because she's honestly, she's the sweetest little kid. She's got the cutest little voice. But I heard her say, she she goes, hey dad, I'm gonna wait to tell you the next part of my day because it's really important and you're not listening. Yes, that's the appropriate reaction. Um, I felt terrible. I threw my phone down like it was a hot potato. I apologized. I started listening to her. To be fair, the really important part of her day is that some kid named Lucas can whistle already. Um, (laughs) That's not the point. The point is that she like knew and called out the fact that I wasn't paying any attention to her and good honor, I deserved it. We can shape our kids by giving them our full attention, right? We just, we just answer the, the countless questions and we get on the floor and play shoots and ladders with them even though it's literally just the worst game ever made. I hate that game so much. Um, but we play shoots and ladders with them and, and we just spend good time with them. We foster meaningful conversation with them when we're sitting with them at dinner. Like whether our kids are eight or 18, they need our attention. They need to see that we're not too busy for them and we're not too distracted and we're not spinning too many plates to pay attention to them. Like our God is a God who lavishes his attention on us and if we're gonna impress that kind of God into our kids, then we should give them our attention. Second characteristic of God that I believe we should embody as parents is affection. Okay, once again, undeniable theme of the Bible from cover to cover. The Bible is the narrative history of God's great love and attention for us. 
Okay, there is a reason that John 3.16 is the most popular and well-known verse in all of the Bible. Most of us have heard this one. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That verse is so popular because in one sentence, it summarizes everything about the Bible, right? Who God is, who Jesus is, what Jesus did for us. Like in one sentence, it explains that God is a God of great love and affection for us. If we're gonna shape and sharpen our kids on the quiet day-to-day daily moments, then the question is, do we offer them the same kind of affection that God offers us? Our kids need to know our affection. Like they need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we love them. Like, listen, they're not going to assume that. They need to hear it and see it and feel it. They need to hear it, like tell your kids you love them. It's not possible for them to hear that too much. This is the one aspect of parenting that I feel like Allie and I are actually doing pretty well at right now. Like our, our kids hear about our love for them all of the time, multiple times a day. I don't take the dog for a walk without telling everybody in the house that I love them. Tell your kids you love them. Tell them why you love them. Not just I love you, but I love you because. I love you because you're kind or you're generous or you're strong or you're wild or whatever it is. Like our sons need to hear that they are courageous and strong and our daughters need to hear that they're beautiful and they're adored. Chloe and I have this this thing where she answers just habitually now because I've done it so many times, but just the thing is like throughout the day, I'll look at her and I'll just go, hey, Chloe. She's like, what? I go, how'd you get so pretty? And now she answers habitually. She goes, because mommy's pretty like that. And then it's sweet. But then after that, I go, how'd you get so weird? She goes, because you're all weird. <laughs> um, and I wanted, I hope I'm doing that bit with Chloe when she's 40 and I'm 73, because like from now until the day I die, I want her to know there is at least one person in this cold world who thinks she's beautiful and like absolutely adores her. Speak your affection. Our kids need to hear it. They also need to see our affection. They'll, they'll see it in the, in the way that we treat our spouses or in the way that we sacrifice ourselves for our family. They're, they're gonna see it in the way that we like look deeply into their eyes when they're scared or they're troubled. And then they also need to feel our affection, like hug them, kiss them, right? Hold their hand, like put your arm around them while you're watching football later or high five them when they do something awesome. They do awesome things all the time. Brush their tears from their cheek, braid their hair. And I know that there's some of us and in what you're thinking right now is like, dude, it's too late for me, man. Like I screwed that one up, right? Like my kid's 38, lives all the way across the country. It's not too late. It's not too late because you don't know. You don't know the amount of change you could kick off in your adult kid's life if you called him today and said, hey, I need to tell you something I've never told you before. I need to tell you I love you and why. You don't know what could happen in his life. It's not too late. If we're gonna impress the kind of God that we worship onto our kids, we need to offer our kids not just our attention, but also our affection. Okay, third characteristic of God that we should embody as parents is authority. I want to explain this one very carefully, so I'm gonna ask that you listen very carefully, okay? God is a God of authority, and that's very good. That's a very good thing for us. We want God to have power. We want him to be in control. It's like the the truth is a situation is only safe 
Whether you're 10 years old at recess or you're 40 years old at a marketing meeting, a situation is only safe if someone in the room has recognized authority and they know how to wield it well. For Christians, that someone in the room is Jesus Christ, okay? He was very honest. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And we want him to have authority. It's Jesus's authority that makes all of the other wonderful things about him possible. His authority is the reason he can empower us and encourage us. And his authority is the reason that he can share hard truth with us when we need to hear it the most. And his authority is the reason he disciplines us. And because we know that he can wield his authority well, the Bible describes his discipline as an act of love, not an act of anger or hatred or impatience or retribution. Here's a big truth, like Jesus, his authority, he has the authority to forgive us only because he first holds the authority to judge and condemn us. He chose not to, chose to forgive us. Like we want Jesus to be a savior with authority and for those of us who follow him, we've placed Jesus in authority over our lives because he embodies everything that he taught. Jesus describes himself as a friend friend to us. That's beautiful, but we can't get it mixed up. He's not our homeboy. He's a friend with great authority over our lives. Our kids, they need our authority. They're they're floundering without it. They're totally anchorless without our, our authority. It's like, just like Jesus, we need to use our authority to empower them and to encourage them and we need to guide them and we need to coach them and we need to forgive them and we need to point out when they're going off the rails so that they don't get hurt and we need to push them to do things that they never even thought were possible. Like, and that's because our goal as parents is not to be our kid's best buddy. It's like, again, to point to Jesus, please hear me. We should be great friends to our children. But like for the 18 years that they live under our roof, don't get it mixed up. We're not their homeboys. We are friends with great authority in their life. You are dad. You are mom. Basically, in our homes, as parents, we should be the authority in the room on all matters of life for 18 years. And please hear me, I didn't, I didn't say the expert in the room, I said the authority. Here's what I mean by that, okay? I'm not really an expert at, at honestly, really anything, okay? I'm not an expert at anything, but at the same time, Allie and I are the authorities in the room on all matters related to what it means to be afoot. Um, that's my last name, by the way, in case, <laughs> in case you didn't know. You're like, what is this dude talking about? Um, it's an unfortunate last name, but we bear it. Uh, so Allie and I, we are the, are the authorities in our house on all matters related to what it means to be afoot. And so, for example, uh, the other day, Chloe spent her entire evening making personalized bookmarks for every kid in her class because she's really just a sweetheart. Um, And so I saw her doing this. I go over there, I encourage her. I tell her to keep going. I tell her that she's like, this is beautiful what you're doing. Why do I do that? Because foots are kind and generous. I'm the authority on that matter in our home. On the other hand, like a few weeks ago, Micah got mad. He slapped his older sister, Emery, in the stomach. I sent him to his room. I tried to calm down. I got about halfway there. I went back into his room and I told him clearly, you're never gonna do that in my house again. Why? because you're a foot 
and, and foots are, are kind to and stand up for and protect the women in our lives, even if they happen to be like your annoying older sister. Like, I'm the authority on that matter in my house. Micah apologized. I forgave him. I had the authority to forgive him because I first had the authority to chew his butt out. Our kids need our authority. They don't need another best friend. Really, they have those. You know, what they need is someone who's just been like a little further along in life and we've decided to come on back for you and hold your hand and go, okay, I wanna walk this thing with you and over here we're gonna avoid that mistake because I've made that one and that one hurts and over here at this part in your life we're gonna take a right because that's a way better way to live your life and I just learned that one the hard way. They just need someone to come back and help guide them because we're trying to raise strong and kind and brave, humble, self-sacrificial, generous human beings. But again, please hear what I'm about to say. Most importantly, just like Jesus, if you want to wield authority in your home in a way that is healthy, in a way that is not self-serving or micromanaging or controlling or abusive, then we had better embody what we're trying to teach our kids. We have to practice what we preach. And that's because authority in the world and culture works one way, but then Christ-like authority, it works a totally different way. And Christ-like authority, it's actually not about a power trip and it's not about control and it's not about feeling like the man of the house or feeling like the woman of the house. Instead, Christ-like authority is about the self-sacrificial journey of lovingly guiding our kids so that they can just get where they need to go without getting hurt along the way. Don't deprive your kids of your authority. The shaping and the sharpening of our children, it doesn't happen in like the big grand moments. It happens in the quiet, seemingly dull and routine moments of the day-to-day grind. And so how can we faithfully image or represent God to our kids? Just like Moses said, it's like first and foremost, we let Jesus sharpen his better way of living into our own hearts. And then from that place, we turn and we sharpen our kids by offering them the same kind of attention and affection and authority that Jesus first offered us. And so a quick challenge, and then we'll we'll pray, we'll get out of here, okay? If you wanna lean into this, if you wanna image God well as a mom or a dad, then here's a challenge. Okay, you take that list of those three characteristics, attention, affection, authority. You, You take that list, you hand it to someone you really trust. Okay, if you're married, that should be your spouse. If you're a single parent, hand it to the person who knows you the best but isn't one of your kids, okay? Then ask that person, go, hey, could you rank these for me in order of like the ones I need to mature in the most? So like number one would be like, I've gotta work on that now. And number two would be like, I need to keep my eye on that one. And then number three is like, that's the thing I'm doing the best at right now. Again, I'll go first. I'll use myself as an example. Here's how these got ranked for my life. It's attention and then authority and then affection. So working from the ground up, affection, I'm doing that one the best right now. My kids hear and see and feel my affection. Authority, that's one that I've got to keep my eye on. Okay, for me, I don't lack authority with my kids. I'm not the pushover dad, but I go to the other end of the spectrum where I can be like really hard driving and strict and lack grace and lack mercy. I obviously need to keep an eye on authority because Allie jokes and says that she's gonna buy me a Von Trapp whistle. (laughs) 
like from The Sound of Music, where the dad has that whistle, and the kids are like ready for their chores. Um, So obviously I need to work on authority and show more grace. But for me, attention, that's like number one. I've, I've got to work on attention right now. I've got to stop disappearing into books or into my phone, and I've got to engage better, and I've got to listen to Chloe's 30 minute long stories, and I gotta foster conversation at the dinner. A big one for me is I gotta stop giving them extra long turns on the Nintendo Switch just because I'm enjoying the peace and quiet, right? Like, attention is the one that I need to work on the most right now. What is it for you? What is the thing that you need to work on? That's the challenge if you wanna take it up this week, right? Have someone rank those three characteristics for you and then just focus on the one thing this time and don't get overwhelmed, right? It's it's like you're already making a significant step towards maturity if you can even just become aware of something that you need to grow in. So become aware of it. See how it plays out in your like routine, day-to-day sharpening moments of your life and then just put some intentionality into it and then work on imaging God well by offering your kids his attention, his affection, and his authority. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this room. I thank you for these people. Uh, God, ultimately, at, at the end of the day, like, I thank you for the truth that's at the foundation of what we talked about today. The truth at the foundation is the kind of father you are. And the kind of father you are is one who lavishes attention on us. The, the kind of father you are is one who shows affection to us. And the kind of father that you are is one of authority. Like, we can rest at the end of the day knowing that, like, even, to, even though today felt totally out of control, even though it feels like our lives are a mess, like, at the end of the day, you are in total control. You have power. You have authority. God, I thank you for the kind of father you are. God, I pray for wisdom and discernment for any of us who are parents because, yeah, for anyone who's in here going like, it seems like every other mom and dad knows what they're doing and I'm just like barely keeping my nose above the water. God, would you, would you help them to see that we're all just trying to figure this out just like them? God, would you give us wisdom and discernment on the things we need to grow in so that we can help shape these little kids that you've given us? And then God, It's just like marriage. Anytime I talk about parenting, I know it brings up heartache. I know it brings up, you know, the kids that maybe we've lost or or the kids who have wandered and gone astray or the kids that we pray for every single day and we're like, when are you gonna turn back to Jesus? And they just don't and haven't. God, it just brings up pain for some of us. For those of us that we're feeling pain right now, God, please give us your peace. That's something I can't do, a song can't do. Like, please let us have a taste of your peace right now and your grace and your mercy. God, sometimes you play a really long game with people. Could you help us keep that in mind when it comes to our own kids? God, hold us closely for any of us who are feeling pain right now. But ultimately, God, let us rest on the foundational truth today of the kind of father you are, one who gives us your attention, affection, and authority. And God, I love you so much, and I pray this in the name of your holy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.